This is Pastoring Out Loud, lightning round, lightning <laughs> With your host, Nick Rowan. Nope. You knew I was going to do that. Dave Zuliger and Stacey Thorpe. Ethan's over here in the corner producing without a mic. Maybe we'll throw a mic his way. Oh, there is another mic here someplace. So guys, uh, no random questions. I'm just launching right into this website, thestateoftheology.com. Mm. It's a, uh, each year, Ligonier Ministries. Ligonier is a Presbyterian ministry uh, connected with uh, uh, RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary. And they put out a survey uh, to evangelicals in regards to theology. So the state of theology gives us a snapshot. And I thought we could do a lightning round episode on false doctrine that self-proclaimed evangelicals believe. Great. Are you ready for Let's this? Let's do it. Ready, Stacy? Yep. Stacy, does God change? <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, he doesn't. Okay. Mm, and good, good yet, answer. there appears to be a sizable number of respondents that say that he does change. Well, there is a verse that says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm-hmm. Mm. So hmm. statement number four, God learns and adapts to different circumstances. 32% of self-affirming evangelicals agree. You know, when I was at God Bethel. Learns. Hmm. Yeah, that he learns and changes. When I was at Bethel, yep. there was a professor there, currently a pastor, I believe still, who was teaching something called open theism. Mm. Mm-hmm. What is open kind theism? Kind of like that where. Yeah, what is that? He, the future is open. And he doesn't know what it is, right? He doesn't really know what it is. And these things. He's basically the best gambler out there because he's the one who can better than anyone else see all the possibilities and take pretty good guesses, but he doesn't quite know. But he can't know the future because there's no future to be known. Correct. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's different than like uh, another theology put forward by a Jesuit priest, Molinism, which is a way of thinking about like God knows all the various possibilities and he just sets things up at the beginning so that it doesn't violate anybody's free will. But that's open not theism. open theism. No, it's not. Open theism is farther yeah. than that. It's not just he's the master chess player at the beginning knowing what everybody's going to do with him setting it up. It's he genuinely does not know though he's a really good guesser. That's right. Yeah. Really you can be a faithful Christian and be a Molinist. Yeah, I think you can be a faithful Christian and be a Molinist. That's kind of a philosophical yeah. kind of way of thinking about um, like the, the difference between God's sovereignty or how God's sovereignty and free will uh, are compatible, which I would just say is not a scriptural answer. It's a philosophical answer. Right. But open mm-hmm. theism goes a step right. farther. So, I mean, what's our, uh, what's our read on this? Um, you know, uh, does it smell like heresy to you, Dave? Smells a lot like heresy to me. Smells like teen heresy. Okay. <laughs> what about you, Nick? Smells like heresy? Yep. Okay. Stacy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we do not believe that God changes. And yet, what does Philippians 2 teach us about the nature? What, what happened with Jesus? What a, I mean, do we believe that something changed in yeah. regards to God? the second person of the Trinity, the son of God took on human flesh. Yes. But he did not lose anything that he already previously possessed. That's correct. So there was not in any way that divinity was diminished. Correct. And yet humanity in total 
mm-hmm. like a hundred percent man was yep. taken on mm-hmm. in that regard. So, uh, and, but in his divinity, nothing was touched. Correct. Nothing was. What about a verse that when it speaks about God changing his mind? Like he repented that or, he had made man. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or Moses talks to him and he relented. Yeah. Something like that. Yep. So here's a little, here's a little philosophical thing that we can talk about for a second. There's the phenomenon of a thing where the thing appears like to us that God relented or changed his mind. And yet we have other texts that say, I'm not like a man that I should repent mm-hmm. or relent. So there are ways in which the Bible accommodates our understanding of, of God. And if we're going to, you know, try to take a snapshot of what the mental or emotional life of the God of the universe is like, that's complex beyond compare. And yet he stoops to our level in speaking that way. So I, I would just say that texts like that are true and yet we hold the other texts in harmony yeah. with them. And so yeah. like in the case right. of, you know, Moses interceding and then God, change, you know, relenting and changing yep. his mind, I would just say, that that was already the ordained outcome and God used, he planned beforehand to use the means of Moses's intercession to accomplish that outcome. Yep, yep. So Moses's intercession and God's preordaining are not in conflict. Yep. God is a God of means. So uh, next one. Oh, sorry. Putting a stamp on that, heresy. Moving on in our lightning round, lightning round, lightning round. Okay. What about this statement, Dave? I don't know if I like the way this podcast is going, the feel of it. That's fine. I feel like I'm watching a YouTube video, an angry person. You can be the host next time, though. Dave, are we born innocent? We're born innocent, did you say? Yes, innocent. Oh, I thought you said innocent. Might have accidentally. We We are not born innocent. I'd go to, uh, I'd go to a daycare. I, yeah, I'd go. I'd go to a daycare. <laughs> I would go to my own house. Home. <laughs> yeah. I would go to my. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've often said in sermons, you know, the one thing we don't have to teach our kids is to sin. Uh, they they know how to do that pretty early. You were going to say a text though, so <laughs> that's Sorry. fine. That, no, that was a that was a good place. Yet, according to the state of the theology. Two-thirds of American evangelicals surveyed believe that we are born in a state of innocence. Hmm. What do you think about that? Psalm 139. Is it Psalm 139? No. In sin did my mother conceive me? Yeah. Is that what you're thinking? Uh, That's not Psalm I think so. Is it? It is Psalm... 51. 51. Yeah. It's not even close. <laughs> no. Well, if you double it and add 36. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you'd still be off by one. But by one, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I mean, the... Uh, good thing you're a pastor and not a mathematician. Man, it's a good thing. in Romans, if we're in Adam, yep. Yep, yep. we've all sinned yep. because we're under Adam. And so that's what we're going to be until we're in Christ. That's right. Anything else you'd say about whether we're born in innocence? And that's not to say like the doctrine of total depravity that we believe, which is different Mm -hmm. from um, maybe a Roman Catholic perception of original sin, right? 
So total depravity would teach that all of us are connected to Adam. Some Protestants have said that's almost like a genetic thing. The technical word is tradition. That's Lutheran doctrine Hmm. that we, that sin moves from generation to generation like a virus. And then other Protestants have said it's a federal thing, namely because we're all in Adam, like Mm -hmm. Romans mentioned. Therefore, we are all under sin unless we are in Christ. And yet sin still affects us in different ways. Mm -hmm. So we're not saying that we're all as bad as we could possibly be. We're just saying that we're so affected by sin that there's nothing about us that can get in ourselves that can lead us back to God. That's right. Or lead us to a righteous life apart from God's intervening grace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or that there can't be good things in unbelievers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, is church membership an obligation? Is that in there? Yes, it is. Does church, and the question, the overall banner is, does church membership matter? But the statement to agree or disagree with in the survey is every Christian has an obligation to join a local church. What you think? Uh, I mean, define obligation. Obligation for what? Salvation? Uh, it doesn't say. How about uh, joining joining together with a local church is, I don't know, commanded? Is important? Go ahead, Nick. Well, yes. Okay. You're, you're obligated to join a local church. Well, although the, the Bible doesn't- Well, that's helpful. The Bible doesn't use the word membership, but as we've been talking about a lot in sermons and in our church essentials class, there is the um, an assumption in a church that there would be a local people who are watching over one another's faith and exercising you know, the keys of the kingdom and um, making declarations- you know, uh, on behalf of heaven, like Matthew 16 and 18 type of thing. Um, and so there is some sort of real commitment and real responsibility that we have towards one another. And the way that that works in our context is membership. Mm. So I would say very important. Um, you can, I'm not saying you can't be saved, <laughs> right. you know, if you're not a member of a church but for the health of the church and for this, the health of your own soul. Yep, yep. Membership is key. Yep. So we're saying on, I, I, would you I really call this a heresy? I don't I'm know sure if I'd call it a heresy. heresy at all. Nope. Maybe mm-hmm. just like normal Christian living operates with an understanding of the local church that says normally Christians come together in local assemblies where God has promised his blessing. And to ignore that is uh, problematic. Unwise. Yeah, unwise. Unwise. And I mean, they just yep. say, you know, I, I think it would be interesting to say, like, if you were to ask this question in the United Kingdom or another place with a longer history, perhaps, of institutional religion, uh, if you get a different different outcome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Us individualistic Americans. So, guys, uh, you know, U.S. evangelicals, 56% of them say 
God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. What do you think about that? Again, self-identified U.S. evangelicals. Yeah, I mean, that, I hadn't seen that one. I've I had that survey up to look through. That seems uh, that seems wild to me. To yeah, fifty-six percent of those would agree with that. I mean, the and the reason I I say it seems wild is I, I, I mean, I wonder what the answer would have been in the. 80s or 90s, it'd be interesting to see the trends and see if there's been ups and downs at various cultural points. Um, but it's just such a clear, it's such a clear teaching, you know, I just think of Jesus saying, I am the way, the yep. truth and the life. Yep. No one comes to the Father except through me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that for an evangelical who would be saying, I mean, what evangelical has meant in the past is that we're committed to the person work yep. of Jesus. Yep. Yep. That w- That's a pretty... Surprising and yeah. sh- strange finding. I don't know, mm-hmm. and that would be heresy. So could you heresy. say could you say heresy my way, please? No. Oh, okay. I can't. can't the verdict is heresy. <laughs> uh, this feels like the the X on Family Feud. Hey guys, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Of. <laughs> yes, exactly. According to this survey, how many U.S. evangelicals agree with this statement? I just want you to take a guess. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. U.S. evangelicals, how many How many do you think, according to this survey, do you not believe that Jesus was God? It's probably high, I bet. Um, 55. No, 43. Okay. But still. Well, good. Yeah, it's great, right? All right. Mm-hmm. I'm a self-identified evangelical, mm. and I don't believe that Jesus was God. Mm. Right. Um, what, what do you say about that, Nick? That's a heresy. Oh, do you have a scriptural basis for that, Nick? Or are you just saying that? Lots of them. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so you think of uh, John chapter one. Yeah. You know, in the beginning was the word, the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then, you know, John chapter eight, you know, where Jesus says before Abraham was born, I am, mm-hmm. which I am is the, the divine name. All the I am statements in John, Mm -hmm. really. Uh, I think of Romans 9, 5, where just Paul explicitly says, Jesus, our God. (laughs) Um, So, and there's, there's others. Um, But this is, this has been a longstanding heresy going back to, you know, councils of Nicaea and, um, Constantinopolitan Creed or whatever that Con- <laughs> Con- Constantinopolitan N- I don't Did know you what to say that Constantinopolitan really Metropolitan is that, is that an ice cream or what wow. is that <laughs> Okay what is it I, I don't know Con- the, the, Which one the Constant- Nicene Creed No the Constantinople The Yeah Constantinian Never mind <laughs> <laughs> Anyways it's, it's actually tied to the last question you asked too, because that's, that's really Jesus being God is in some ways, you know, the heart of what defines Christianity. Yeah. So for, it's not surprising that that number is high when 56% of people said, you know, all, all these religions get you to God. Yeah. Because that's really, that's really the key. Because if Jesus isn't God, then he can't die a worthy death for our sin. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think 
John twelve forty one is my favorite, like Christological, like clear divinity text, mm. because John is writing about the throne room scene mm-hmm. in Isaiah six, mm-hmm. and John says directly that Isaiah said these things because he saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of him. Yep, right. Good. He saw his glory and spoke of him, and it's clear in the context that this is about Jesus. Yeah. So the glory of the God of the universe in Isaiah 6 is Jesus. The glory, glory of Jesus. Can't yeah. get around that. Mm. That's good. So. The Nicene Creed is also called the Niceno-Constantinopolitan Creed. First Ooh. off, I'm not uh-huh. sure that you pronounced that correctly. And second off, we'll just call it the Nicene Creed. Constantinopolitan. Constantinopolitan Creed. Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. Hooked on phonics. There are some <laughs> other ones, false teaching we could talk about in this broader survey. Uh, I mean, here, I'm just going to throw out a couple real fast. You guys, you guys, you know, roll with me uh, on a few of these. Uh, Is someone a Christian and therefore in a, uh, a place where they are saved from the wrath to come because they have been baptized? Or perhaps another way of saying it is, is someone regenerated upon being baptized? Yes or no? Those are those are two separate things. Mm, regeneration. They're, they're interrelated, but Re- let's just take the second one. Okay. Let's, let's take the second one. Is somebody regenerated, brought from spiritual, not alive to spiritually alive, moved in that in, from one state to the other state mm-hmm. because of baptism? No. Why? Because they're not. <laughs> Th- thanks for that, Nick. It's a spiritual rebirth. Okay. Not just an an act, a physical act. Mm-hmm. That's just a symbol of what happened. Uh, it's just a, it's mainly a symbol. We I think it, you know I would say it's like yeah it's a gracious way God meets us. I, I would say yes, sure. even a sacrament. Yep. Together with Westminster, um, but it's not the way in which uh, you know God moves that way. So like Acts, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Acts fifteen? Where Paul says, you know, um, why should we hinder the the Gentiles from coming? Or, uh, it's not hinder. That's not the word he uses. Seeing as God has cleansed us by cleansed them, just as He has us by, and He doesn't say baptism. He says by faith. Yeah, mm-hmm. cleansed by faith. Yeah, there's a. I mean, Acts is a really great place to go because I think where this idea comes from is often Acts two. You know, it says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So people would say, see, you need both. And I, what I would say is it's really clear in the rest of Acts that people that are baptized are those who receive the word. They believe the word. They trust the word. Mm-hmm. And there are other, uh, there are multiple instances in Acts where it's just repent and be saved. Mm-hmm. And if it was repent and be baptized was necessary for salvation, that'd be like a big part to leave out. Mm-hmm. But I think that we see that uh, there's this pattern of receive the word, believe the word, then you're, I think what you said is right, the Lord meets you in this uh, in this proclamation of what's happened inside of you. And I think that's similar to, to the passage um, that talks about baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as yep, a, yep, yep. a confession, a, a hope that... Yeah, First Peter 3. Yeah, and I think... Uh, that's saying, listen, the, the the water, this this practice doesn't save you, but it's it's a 
a plea, Lord, come and keep me and, and keep uh, doing what you've already done in me and have this people help me that I'm yep, doing yep. it in front of. So, yeah. Good. Good. All right. Uh, let's take, so our, our stamp upon this is, I mean, certainly, certainly there are streams of Christianity, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, that like clearly teach that the moment of baptism is almost like a seed being planted in whether it's a baby or an adult or whatever that initially puts you in what, what the Roman Catholic Catechism calls a state of grace that then you can sully and mess up based on you sinning or not sinning. Um, we would just say that that's unbiblical, right? Yeah. We would say that's yep. just not what the Bible teaches in regards to baptism. Yeah, like would they talk about it as the removal, the washing away of original sin? Yes, it would yeah. be the removal of original sin in mm -hmm. that regard. Yep. Okay, how about this uh, idea? Um, that in the new covenant, God promises material blessing for those that are obedient. Yes or no? Money... Cross like like uh, possessions, you know, healthy nope. healthy family stuff like that. Really, the only thing that God promises, well, besides, you know, all every spiritual blessing that's in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. But as far as you know, our Just experience. That, on, well, mean. but as far as our experience on earth, really, the only thing He promises us is suffering, yeah. <laughs> and hardship, and yeah, you know, it's going to be tough. <clears throat> But take heart because Jesus is overcome and we have every spiritual blessing with, through our union with Christ and we have a eternity with Christ to look forward to. But that doesn't mean we're going to be rolling in the dough. Yep, yep. <laughs> well, if we've been united to him, look at what his life was on earth. It was suffering mm -hmm. and then comes glory. Right. So that the, that's yeah. the same path for us. Well, is that Philippians one, the end of Philippians one, where it says, you know, it's been granted to you not only to believe, but to suffer, my, but also to suffer, suffer my like as a gift where uh, Philippians three, when Paul talks about like becoming more like Jesus, he doesn't just strictly, he says, uh, let me see. It's Philippians three ten. Um, you know, he, he talks about uh, putting behind all the things that he, previously counted as part of his, you know, almost Jewish privilege that earned him a earned him something before God. He put them behind. Um, he wants to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We can all get behind that on the fourth verse on a Sunday morning. But this is the fourth verse of what Paul says, <laughs> and may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. It's always mm -hmm. in the fourth verse. Yeah. Well, the well, the fourth verse in here is like suffering is what I should expect. Mm -hmm. That's right. Like yep. in in today. Like I don't think that's just like, hey, Paul, apostle, you get yeah. to suffer. Yay, you. It's. Yeah. I think that's <clears throat> paradigmatic so, for the Christian. Fill, filling up what is lacking. Yeah. In the sufferings of Christ, yep, which yep. doesn't mean his sufferings are not sufficient for salvation, but it means we're going to be his. Yeah, we're going to representative walk, sufferers. We're going to walk in the path, path that he has done. Yeah. Walked in. Yeah, yeah. So this would be so, like. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, <coughs> subnote of this though, um, Dave. What does First Corinthians eight teach? First Corinthians, what, you know, anything in Second Corinthians eight or Second Corinthians? Yeah, Second. Yeah, Corinthians I mean, I was going to go there and say, you know, a lot of times, I mean, I've heard 
folks that preach this way cite Second Corinthians uh, nine ten. You know, it says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. And I've That's heard them say, one. hey, look it, you're going to get lots of money. <laughs> you know, yeah, God's yeah, going to yeah. give you, you guys going to give you all this stuff and just believe. Um, but then the next verse, you know, first of all, it says increase the harvest of your righteousness, right. not your stuff. Yep. And then verse 11 uh, says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So even even the picture here is not God like a vending machine. Hey, you give to God, he gives you more. You do this, he blesses you. It's, hey, if you if your heart is to give more, God often gives more to you so that you can give more because you're being a faithful steward <laughs> of, his, of his stuff yep. that he gives you, not because it all belongs to him. So this isn't about being wealthy and rich. It's about being a right. steward of the resources mm-hmm. God has granted yeah. as a gift. Yep, that's right. Yep, yep, amen. I mean, today we... We would label this what we call the prosperity gospel, which is common in some Pentecostal circles, some especially uh, oneness Pentecostal circles, which is a completely other thing because it layers in, uh, you know, the denial of the Trinity, the heresy called modalism. Um, but that's often intersecting with what's called the word of faith movement, which is very much a uh, like name it and claim it would be the you yeah. know kind of the popular level way of saying it like if I believe it strongly enough God will honor my faith Mm -hmm. and so give me whatever it is that I uh, am asking for that's right so if it's wealth if I believe it enough and ask for it he'll give it to me if it's health if I believe it enough and ask for it give me health and then I think what that does is it's almost I mean frankly predatory yeah. And it's way of going about thinking about the Christian life because what it says is it leaves, it leaves somebody in a level of guilt or maybe even shame. If I really, I thought I really believed I'm not healthy yet. I'm my, my faith. There's something wrong. Yeah. You know, I thought I believed like you, and yet I've not been granted these things that I believe God has promised. And we would just say, God has never promised those things. Yeah. That's a, that's a, every, everything uh, ought line up with God and his word. We hear his word, we heed his word. And that is not hearing his word. It's, I mean, honestly, it's a distortion that to some degree says, like, you will be like God. No, good from evil. You will be like God being able to say, uh, you know, if God is the one who says, like, whatever he wills, that actually happens. It becomes whatever I will, that actually happens. And even if you look at some of the prosperity gospel preachers, they would, they say that kind of stuff. They say yeah. that we become like God in the new covenant in this way. Yeah. Which I think is, the verdict is heresy. Yep. Yep. I could talk about this for a while, but we've been going for about a half hour. Like we could, you know, there's one God in three persons, the father, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit, you know, uh, there are evangelicals that disagree with that. God is perfect and cannot make a mistake. Even some evangelicals, so-called evangelicals, disagree with that. Um, you know, forty percent of evangelicals disagree with this statement. Only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Like, how many? Forty percent disagree. So I think that just says that, like, uh, in the public space, those that label themselves as evangelicals. 
like Christians and even like many people that label themselves as evangelicals aren't Christians by any historic or orthodox definition. That's right. So it's just like it's a it's a phrase that in some ways is losing a lot of its meaning uh, in a lot of a lot of different areas. Yeah. Anything else we'd add to this, guys, on false doctrine? Read your Bible, pray every day. Don't be disconnected entirely from Orthodox Christianity. And you'll grow, grow, grow up. Uh, yeah. So I think it's a, a, a call for us to be able to say, like, mm. let's return to the scriptures and judge everything by them. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining me today, guys. Amen.